Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the LDC Podcast. This is Rob Cascalucci, your host. And today on the show, I am speaking with Del Dominguez, who is co-founder of the Mixed Motion Art Dance Company, as well as the Salsera out of Chicago. This guy has a long history in the salsa community. He's contributed a lot. He's worked under his uh, mentor with Sekou uh, McMiller. If you know Sekou out of New York, is an excellent dancer trained under him. And we have a real fun conversation here. We talk both about the theory of salsa dancing, the technique of salsa, the uh, community of salsa, and some of the interactions that happen within that community. So overall, a very interesting talk. Uh, this is probably my most resource-heavy interview I've ever done. So you can look in the show notes and see all of the things that we link to from this interview. But what happens when that happens means that we talked about a lot of good stuff, hit on a lot of different areas. So definitely check that out on latindancecommunity.com. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, go ahead, leave us a five-star review. Uh, it really does help more people find out about our show. And you can always get a hold of me at Rob J. Cast on Twitter, on Facebook. And you can also email me, rob at latindancecommunity.com. Thanks and enjoy. Whippa. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. So you know how to walk. You know how to dance. You ever dance with the devil in the I was about to say, like, purposely I didn't do much research on you, but that would be a lie. I just didn't do a ton of research on you. I saw a couple of things online. I know you're based out of Chicago. I know that you've been dancing salsa a while, man. But besides that, Del, give me and give the listening audience just a little bit of background on, on who you are and where you come from. Um, yes. Okay. So this is a really long story, but I will keep it as concise as possible. I um. I started dancing about 14 years ago. Um, I, I literally just was at a at a Latin festival here in Chicago, and I saw some people dancing on stage, and it just occurred to me for what, for no reason whatsoever because there was nothing to base it on, but I thought that I could do it, you know. So um, I kind of started inquiring with a friend of mine about getting into some classes, and at the time there was only really one studio, um, so we went and started dancing, and. Um, that didn't really work out too well. They were teaching like a cumbia-fied salsa, which I didn't know any better at the time, you know, because when you don't know, you don't know. And um, I ended up meeting a little bit later on, <clears throat> I ended up meeting um, my mentor, who is Sekou McMiller. Uh, if you guys, if you guys, if you happen to know who that is, he's pretty damn famous in the salsa scene nowadays. He's uh, based out of New York nowadays, but for seven years, we had a we were in a company together that he founded called Descarga Caribe, and we pretty much did the whole deal where we traveled and like all over the world, literally all over the United States. I've been to some places I don't even remember that. I'm like, oh yeah, I was there, you know, and just we traveled and performed and we did our number. Um, you know, we got a really good reputation as a matter of fact. Um, I'd like to say, and you know, some people might argue this fact, but I'm pretty damn, you know, adamant about the fact that we put Chicago on the map um, nationally because we had a lot of really great talent here. And we still do, even more so now than ever, but we were one of the first people to really get out there and start traveling from the city, you know, to a lot of different places. So, you know, that's really great. We got, I got an opportunity to meet and um, interact with a lot of people and see a lot of different styles. So, that's good. That's my story in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. I could keep going on and on, but that could take like 45 minutes. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, hey, man, we'll just treat you like an onion, man. We're going to peel back those layers one by one. So. <laughs> I'll let you peel. I'll, I'll just, I'll answer. I'll answer. Uh, but, you know, I, so I've heard of Sekou for sure. Actually, uh -huh. a funny story on that one, man. The first Congress I ever went to was the Atlanta, um, uh, was a Flavor Invasion. So that was the very first Congress I went to, and okay. Sekou performed there. 
Okay. And so I saw him. Actually, I think he may have even been performing. They had like a weird like a side stage thing happening in between the main acts where I think right. he was doing some stuff and I think he was on the main stage as well. But kind of like what you were talking about with, with you, like I didn't know any better. I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know who was good and who was bad. I think I saw him social dance and then I'm like, oh, that guy looks pretty good. And whereas like, <laughs> of course, he's amazing. And then like I turn left and I see Magna. I'm like, oh, she looks pretty good. Maybe I should ask her to dance, you know? Oh, um, man. It, Ignorance is bliss, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I know, exactly. And then, of course, once I start getting to know these things, it's like, oh, crap. Like, no, I'm not asking her to dance yet. I need time. I will I will be back. I will be back to her. And actually, man, that that's what I, I – when you were telling me your story just now, um, one thing that Mila jumped out to me was your um, – I guess your, your tone, your approach to when you first got into salsa, you're like, oh, that looks like something I could do. I think that's an interesting way – of approaching. I haven't heard many people talk about it like that. Like, are you the kind of guy that's had other things like that in your life? Like, oh, I see these guys playing baseball. I think I could do that. And then you learn baseball. Like, uh, you learn how to sing that way. Like, do you have other examples of things in life? Or did, Man, did this just you grab know, you that? It's it's funny you mentioned this because there was no basis. I mean, okay, for example, I – um. And I, this is not me throwing my mom under the bus in any way, shape, or form, because I've way since moved past this. But, you know, I'm, I'm talking about at the time where I was mentally and emotionally. Um, when I first started, I was very much self-conscious, very ugly duckly syndrome, very, like, unaware of who I was or how I was, you know. And um, there was really – this is unprecedented for me at the time because – having been a friend of mine, you would have never thought like, where, where the hell did that come from? You know, like where did he think he could do this? Because this is um, outside of his character at the time. So I can't actually say that I, one of the things that I took to that I didn't necessarily go in thinking I would be awesome at was, um, I have a degree in illustration and graphic design and uh, computer arts, actually, like three associates degrees very randomly. And the one thing that I, I took to was art, but, you know, art is very solitary. So as you can think, you know, art to dancing, that's such a massive jump. There's no correlation whatsoever. So for me to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, yeah I could do that, spin these girls around and, like, flash out my chest and shimmy my shoulders, like, there was nothing to go on. I mean, the closest thing that I could say that made me even think about dancing was um, – being from Chicago, house music is a big deal here. And I used to go out um, when I first started clubbing, um, you know, a big group of my buddies and we would go hang out. And me and this other kid were the ones who were not getting high and getting drunk every weekend. I actually still to this day, I barely ever, I mean, I've never really smoked anything or I barely ever drank. So it's always for me more about just kind of being in the moment and having fun. So, I mean, outside of a little two-step, that was my exposure to dance. So, so what I'm trying to say is that looking back on stage and seeing these like elaborate choreographies and then thinking about it like wow i could do that was even as i talk about it, i'm like what the hell was i thinking you know like i don't even know where it came from <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy that i had that moment because i mean it yeah. literally changed my life i mean i'm completely 180 degree removed from the person i was then i mean in regards to what i do for a living even regards to my self-esteem or how i approach life nowadays i mean dance has been like the greatest thing that's ever happened to me so yeah. i'm really happy that that happened what, what was it like a virtuous cycle in a way where when you discovered dance and you started getting into taking classes and met say like did you feel like it vibed with your beliefs your values of like you know maybe not going off the ledge drinking all the time or smoking weed or all those things like i don't i don't see many salsa dancers who are into either of those those things like yes a lot of them probably have done it at some point in their lives but they're not regular users sure. from most of the people that i've seen so did you sure. get exposed to the scene and you're like oh this is totally me or was it more of like a slow a slow approach there 
Well, you know, the good thing was, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, I, this is something that I found in pretty much all the salsa communities, that the people who are really into the dancing, um, and I'm sure this is the case where you're at and anyone listening to this, like, they can probably nod their heads in agreement that most clubs don't like having salsa nights because salsa dancers are cheap as hell and they only buy water <laughs> or they bring their own water, like real cheap asses, you know? So yeah. you want to <laughs> sit there and think that most of the people are really just there to dance, which is great for us as the dancers, but not necessarily so great for the business owners. So as a tangent, if anyone out there is listening and really thinks about it, just buy the damn water from them because that's what keeps the club in motion and keeps them supporting the, you know, the, uh, the dancing. But that being said, um, there was definitely not a lot of groups when, when, when I started dancing, but there was one group in particular, and it's irrelevant. This is not even me talking bad about them. They just tended to have a more party vibe reputa- um, reputation, you know. So, um, you know, I, I definitely saw that was a separate way to approach the community, whereas um, thankfully with Seku, he was very much in alignment with um, – my artistic side, I've always, uh, and this, <laughs> I shouldn't even divulge this, but I used to really be into hip hop and stuff like that. I was actually in a, in a, in a group and I, I wrote music and I performed hip hop and I was an artist and a poet and, you know, and then a dancer, now a choreographer. So I've kind of run the gamut in regards to creativity. So working with Seku, he completely spoke to that, um, he completely spoke to that artistic side because that's how he functions. Like that guy is like a machine of creativity. So it was great to be mentored by someone like that and someone with such a great insight on how to not only create but also to manage um, personalities because, I mean, I'm not – at the time, I wasn't the easiest person to get along with. I was a little stubborn, you know, and he had a room full of egos, and he was so brilliant the way he managed everyone. And that's why we're still friends to this day. I mean, he's so awesome. So it was a real blessing to work with him and, and the way he brought dance to me and the way he presented it because, you know, if you have the wrong person giving you certain information, you might digest it in a way that doesn't necessarily agree with you. But if you have someone who is in alignment with your particular values or who speaks to you in the way you like to be spoken to, you're going to receive that information very well. So I hope that makes sense. That might yeah. sound like a little crazy, but it, yeah, it, so it does. I, it does. And I think that um, this is perhaps not true of all people, but I'm starting to get this pattern because what you're describing with Seiku, um, it sounds a lot like me getting into salsa because my first mentor, this guy who I met like my first week into dancing and became the guy who taught me all my stuff before he left Gainesville is this guy, Frank Condori, who I had on the show. Uh, he's out of Boston, but he, he does a social over there, uh, travels all the over the place for salsa as well. But this guy, same thing. Like, I think the biggest thing I got from Frank was his just like 100% devotion to this stuff. And like, yeah. he, he's the kind of guy, man, who he would travel outside. So we lived in Gainesville. He would travel to Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, each of which are two hours away. <laughs> he would go out on a Friday night, go out social dancing there because, of course, there's no salsa in Gainesville on a Friday night, drive out there for two hours, get there by like 1030, social dance for four hours, drive back, stop by Denny's, maybe get back at like five in the morning that same night. And awesome. and at first I was like, you, like, you're crazy, man. Like, you want me to come with you? I'm like, no, that's okay. And finally he got me to go once and like, he made me become him. And I started doing that too. So I think having like that strong, either like just a really passionate person that takes you under their wing, or in your case, I think a passionate and extremely talented. And Frank is extremely talented as well, but I don't think he was as well known as uh, as Seiku. But that like that makes all the difference, I think, for people who for they sure. get that first exposure to. Absolutely, and that's really fortunate on your end to have met him so early on in your dancing. I mean, that's awesome. Well, I, I actually, actually unfortunately, meet? oh no, go ahead. You were saying. Well, no, what, when did you actually meet Seiku? Let me get, like, understand the timing here of when you actually got into it and when you started working with him. 
So I, I mentioned like a little ugly duckling syndrome and like a lot of self-consciousness that when I first started, uh, super shy kid, never really, I mean, I did, I dated women, but it wasn't like a lot, lot, you know? Um, and then I was in this, I was in this spell where, um, I was kind of not really doing anything extracurricular. I mean, so nerdy to the point where like I would go to Japanese malls to look at Japanese comics and that was like a big highlight of my day. So, I mean, I was kind of nerdy when I first started this stuff, you know? And, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, when when I met Seiku, well, actually, when I started dancing at that Kumbia Salsa place, um, I was so intimidated at first. Like, you know, a lot of people don't talk about these things, you know, like how daunting it is for you as a guy, as a shy person to go out there and start approaching women because you have to. You know, initially, there's still a little bit of that old school chivalry going on at, at, the, at the nightclubs where at least in my and let me let me rephrase that in my head, there was that I had to go out there and like ask these women like it was the most important question in the world where I was literally just asking them for a dance. And in hindsight, I want to slap myself. But, you know, at the time, it was really a big deal. So I, I true story. I went for six months and I never asked a single person to dance. And then I quit. So I took class for six what? months. I I did that. Yeah, I took class and, and went out and never danced with anyone for six months and then quit for six months. And then I met Sekou. So it, it was so random. Like, and then, you know what I'm saying? So after this long hiatus of, um, you know, of not doing anything. In, in, the, in between there, the reason I started getting back into the community was there was this girl I was kind of interested in. And I started kind of making myself available around uh, the scene again to kind of try to talk to this one girl. And um, it didn't really go anywhere. But, you know, then fortunately that led me to meet Sekou, which is the more important part of the story. So, yeah, it was it's about always, a year. It's always about a woman, man. It's, it's always, always about, about a woman. It always comes back. It's it like, always comes okay, back that's the woman. other thing. Uh, well, actually, I take that back because I got into salsa in 2007. Uh -huh. But it, I took the classes, didn't really stick. I kind of forgot about it, and then I got back into it in 2009 because of a woman, and that's when I met Frank. So, actually, I was about a year and a half incubation period of, like, eh, I kind of suck, kind of not serious about it, and then you finally get into it. So, I, I don't even count that time before 2009. You know, I, I don't think I was really serious. I, I, tri I treated it like an extracurricular, like, you know, just this thing that I went to because it was, like, on a Groupon or something. That's awesome. Well, that's it's great yeah. that you actually found the. It's so. It's it might seem so simple on the surface, but there's so much to it, and there's so much like you can get out of dancing that, you know. Um, sometimes people might not. I, I wrote a blog recently on my blog, sh shameless plug, <laughs> but um, about. You know, there's kind of two sides to the nightlife. I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but there are certain kinds of clubs here in Chicago where it's very pop a bottle, spend a thousand bucks at a VIP lounge and pretend you're in a rap video type place or dancing. You know, and it, I've been to both places, and I, I literally, I just don't see it. I don't see why anyone would voluntarily not at least try to dance. You know what I mean? At this point, maybe I'm obviously biased, but as someone who's been dancing and seeing the way dance affects people and how, like, it light, it literally brightens us up and it completely lights up your, your, your spirit and your soul, you know, how people could not try to do that and instead think that, you know, going out has to be about you know, alcohol or a bottle or posturing or stuff like that. I wish a lot more people would just give it a chance because, you know, like me knowing what's happened to me and, you know, sounding like it's been a great experience for you. A lot of times I'll just look back and I'm like, man, I wish they would just try, you know, I don't know if you, mm. you kind of feel that, but I do. I do. And, and thinking back and putting myself in my former, you know, six year older, uh, six year younger self, I should say, sure, sure. it's really an exercise in cognitive dissonance in many ways. So uh, for any listeners, or if you're not familiar with cognitive dissonance, it's this idea of 
you have two opposing views in your mind about the same subject at the same time. And it's like this internal struggle in your mind of like, do I believe the sky is blue or do I believe the sky is red? And you like can't be both at the same time. So a lot of us come into salsa with these pre-existing beliefs of uh, if I ask a woman to dance or ask her anything, she's going to turn me down. Um, if I have to go out to a club, I need to have a drink in my hand. So you right, have these ideas right. that you go in with. And then salsa has been really effective for me of shoving those ideas out and replacing them with new ideas of, well, you ask a woman to dance and she says yes. And if it if it doesn't happen, well, what's interesting is people say no to me now. And I can think of plenty of times that they do, but it doesn't affect me at all because it's not part of like my belief system. So if people do, it's like, oh, okay, that was a weird one. So I'll go on to the next one. But it, it, it has this way of like rewiring you in that way same thing with drinking like i i'm going actually after this uh podcast interview today i'm gonna go out to first magnitude it's a brewery here in town and i'm gonna have drinks with my buddies only i will not be <laughs> drinking i'm actually gonna just be chilling there they'll be drinking i'll just be hanging out with a bottle of poland spring and it's totally cool i won't feel like self-conscious at all it, i don't need it that's awesome it's so cool you're right it completely re, re um it gives us a completely different perspective on like social interaction you know what i mean like back then like in in, in a separate setting I don't know how you would feel. Maybe you're a lot more, uh, maybe you grew up with a lot more game than I did, but uh, in a separate kind of setting, more in, in, in a more like, um, I, I hate to say this word, it's not necessarily what I mean, but like in a bougier nightclub, if you went out there, would you feel the same way about approaching someone and asking them to dance when it would literally be just doing a two step to, a, you know, the latest pop song? Like, would that feel the same as asking at a salsa club? I think the environment is also changing our response to the rejection or the, you know, or the, the reception of our, of our dance, so to speak. It's not even, it doesn't have to be an advance. It's just more of a request to dance. I, I just, I find it fascinating, actually, like the way that people interact with one another, not only at a salsa scene, but also when I've gone out to other nightlife establishments and see how people interact where it's much more about um, different things. I know this is a total tangent and we're getting off subject, but it's just, you know, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a little bit of a residual when I do go out to normal clubs or when I did, because now I'm, I'm, I have a fiance. Hi, hon, if you're listening. But uh, before <laughs> I was, had a fiance, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but before I was dating her, which was like, you know, three, four years ago, if I did happen to, for some weird ass reason, go to a normal club uh, or a normal bar, and if I was like, if my buddy was like, hey, go hit on someone, I probably still wouldn't. But if I did, like, I could tell the, the bar was a lot lower for me feeling nervous about it. So there was a little bit of residual, but you're right. The environment does dictate that a lot. Now, what I will say that worked like a charm was if any kind of music came on that I could dance salsa to or could dance merengue or any kind of like Latin dancing to in that club or in that bar, like, Everyone noticed. Everybody knows. They're like, you were what the is that guy doing? <laughs> exactly, man. It's like that. Um, the 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 one the one that you notice, and it's it's uh, it's great. So I love yeah, it. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. So I I want to I want to do just a little bit deeper into your actual training. So when you okay, I what I'm getting is that before you met Seiku, mm -hmm. you knew about salsa, but you weren't making too much progress. You got into uh, meeting with Seiku, and mm -hmm. then. What were some of the, maybe at the tactical level, some of the strategies or some of the principles that he instilled in you early on that you noticed helped you become a better dancer faster? Whereas like six months, you didn't make much progress, but wow, in the matter of a month, you made these huge leaps because you started doing X, Y, or Z. Well, for sure. I mean, there was a huge, I mean, there was so much that was, I, I, I 
hesitate to say the word wrong because wrong is relative. It could be right for someone else. So I, I don't want to make a blanket statement and say it was wrong, but there was so much different with the way Sekou approached dancing. At the other place that I was at, um, they did not believe in counting. You know what I mean? They did not really believe in timing. And there was not necessarily a... Um, you know, like in everything, right? One of my favorite speakers in the whole world, Jim Rohn, he's always talking about your philosophy. Their philosophy was very different than the philosophy Seku had in regards to dancing. Um, so in that regard, I became much more personally responsible for what I had to do in my dancing. And that's something that carries over to this day tenfold because my experiences after Seku left kind of just got reinforced, uh, reinforced the idea of me being 100% responsible for my 50% of the dance. But I definitely think that Seku was... Um, instrumental in me thinking of it a little bit more technically and using the other side of my brain and not just thinking it's a whole creative endeavor, but look, you have to use some kind of, um, there has to be some intellectual comprehension of what's actually happening so that you can physically manifest that into movement. So that might sound crazy to someone who <laughs> hopefully that makes sense as well. Um, it, it does. It does. I mean, I, I'm getting the sense also that there was some reading of social cues. Like I think that that is probably a big part of taking care. I like what you said, the, uh, 50% of the 100%. How did that go again? Yeah, no, like I, and this is something I preach to this day, you know, like, uh, um, you don't teach, right? You're just, you're just more of a dancer yourself, right? No, 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 correct? I actually teach. I, okay, I good. Teach. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know. So as a teacher, um, I run into a lot of women and maybe you do as well. Um, maybe I, I, maybe you get them, but I get a lot of women who are always like, I can dance with, with a guy who knows how to dance. And then that is one of the most slightly how can i put this i don't want to say grading i don't let it affect my my energy but like it's a disappointing thing to think about because they're completely putting the impetus on the other person to make them a good dancer which i think is false it's just a negative way it's not an, a correct way to think about it because it, it would be like if i was speaking in english and you were speaking in in french and you know we're, there's a disconnect there you know we can probably communicate to one another but it's not going to be as effective as if both of us took the time to agree to one kind of language that we're speaking so to speak so in this case i'm a huge proponent of dancing on two so in this case on two is what we're agreeing to communicate on and if you don't know your half of that it's going to affect our communication with one another so i don't necessarily like that idea of yeah i mean for sure i could kind of move someone around the floor i mean i have developed the ability to be able to do that but is it pleasurable, pleasurable for her to actually experience dance that way and is it pleasurable for me as a lead to actually lead that way and i would I would argue that it's not. I think there's way more effective things to do. You know, I, yeah, that's that would be my answer to that. Um, right, right. You know what I mean? I, I just think people need to be. People need to feel like, okay, you know what? I'm going to get into this. I'm going to put some time into it. Why not learn it right? And why not actually reap the benefit of learning to do it well? Because you can do just enough, right? But I mean, in what in what way is just enough ever really, you know, good for anything? Really, I mean, like. You know, am I going to do just enough at work or am I going to, you know, eat just enough of the right things or am I going to, you know what I mean? I, I could go on and on about that. But like, so why should dance be different? Like if you're going to do it, try to do it because I think you'll you'll reap the benefit of actually doing it well versus just kind of doing just enough, which is oftentimes not enough to, to really get to the right. root of things. You know, you, you talked about peeling back the onion. You know, you could keep peeling it back until you really get to the to the meat and potato of what's really happening. Like, What do I really think? Or, you know what I mean? But if you ask me a surface question, you're most likely going to get a surface answer. And if we give a surface amount of effort, we're only going to get a surface amount back. So I'm, I'm very much of like inspiring the desire in someone to want to know more. Like, yeah, like I get why this works, you know? 
what is not enough, we need to get into the how as well and the how and the, the reasons for things. And that's, again, so going back to the Seku thing, he got me into the music. And, like, one of the things that the group was very known for, which I think all of us who came from him are still known for this day, and we all kind of approach music in the same way. And a dancing is about being very musical and really being in touch with that part. So, you know, you got to look deeper to get something more out of it. So that's, yeah. So, okay, Matt, so there, there are so many different directions I can go. I'll try to just, I'll try just, flurry. Pick, just pick one. I know, right? Um, okay, okay. So one one direction I want to go is mm-hmm. how how much of an impact is the frequency at which you do all of these things? So that's one of the big things that when I'm teaching, I okay. find it really challenging for my students to improve just because they are like exposed to this stuff once a week. And they, right. I, I have students that have been coming to me for like four years, five years, six years, and I have seen no discernible in- improvement. Right. And it's because they just, and at least I think, is because they've been coming like once, twice a week, going to classes, maybe to one social dancing night. But like, how much better can you get if you're actually being exposed on more of a daily basis as opposed to a weekly basis? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic question. I actually just had breakfast with a buddy of mine who's in the scene who actually used to be um, in a group that I was running. And we were talking about that exact thing, that at what point as a coach slash director slash teacher slash mentor, what responsibility do we have to the, you know, to the progress of our student? And ultimately, the responsibility lies on the individual to actually apply. You know, um, do you know who Napoleon Hill is? So Napoleon Hill, right, his big thing was applied knowledge, not just knowledge. Like, I can tell you till my face turns blue that, you know, you should try to approach stepping in a certain way or maybe positioning your body in a certain way. But unless you actually apply what I'm telling you, it's really just intellectual knowledge as opposed to, you know, knowledge that you actually are, are putting into your body and into your muscle memory. And it becomes, you know ingrained in your subconscious you know that's something that the person themselves have to do so i think the mother of all learning is repetition and without an uh, appropriate amount of repetition i don't think anyone's really going to ever take their dancing uh, beyond an advanced beginner or you know general intermediate level i think it's just going to be more of the thing like where they're lingering and you know to be fair a lot of times um people come for different reasons right some guys come to hook up some girls come to hook up some guys come because they really want to get better as dancing some girls came because you know they dance as a kid and they want to do something different so it's not 100 percent um fair to say you know you should always want to be the best but if someone has the desire to want to do it then you know we can give them the information help guide them toward the direction of you know improving themselves and then Ultimately, the responsibility will actually have to fall back on them to apply the information. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, you're, you're right, and mm, I, I want to make a, a like a user diagram, like a, a like a flow chart <laughs> of this because I, I think that there are. It's almost a bit of like an opportunity because not many people get like really, really, really into salsa. Mm. A lot of people get exposed to it. Less of those people get to, you know, that that beginner one threshold, even less get to a beginner two and so on and so on. And I think one of the big drivers is honestly like a lot of people come in to meet someone. A lot of people come in single and they're going to meet someone. Now, sure. let's say let's say we're a guy. OK, come to salsa class like I'm going to meet a woman because I know that's where you meet women. Dancing sure. salsa. So I go, I take some classes and I meet someone. Now, um, there's an option of that woman being 
uh, like you know, someone in our salsa scene versus someone who is kind of in his position where she's like not so advanced, kind of looking to meet a guy. If option B, they're both out of there. Like they'll they'll date and they're gonna just like go off and you won't see him again. Option sure. A, you start dating someone in the salsa scene, they're gonna get even more into salsa, you know? Um, yeah. But sure. but I find that it's like a bit of like a an evolutionary process too, you know, it's like survival, the fittest in a way of like who gets to the top, but it's also, there's a dividing line where after some point, no matter what happens in your personal romantic life, you're hooked on salsa. So I found (laughs) that that, that happened where I met my fiance after I was hooked on salsa. So she happens to dance salsa, but even if she didn't dance salsa, I would be dancing just as much as I am now, if not more. Yeah. You're still hooked on it. Right. So you, you got the bug. I mean, once it happens, it's happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. Which yeah. is cool, though. It's yeah. good that she dances and can appreciate why you know what you love about it. I'm sure she does. Sure, sure. So I I want to also switch gears a little bit and talk. I know you're coming out with a book. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, I mean, now, are I, we I, are we talking about the book? Is that is that you know? <laughs> is it kosher to talk about? I mean, yeah, is it it, kosher? It's, it's, yeah, it is very kosher to talk about it. I just um. You know, I'm I'm still actually dealing with uh, getting a final edit on it, but it's pretty much done. I mean, I, I at least on my end, it's done. You know what I mean? I'm having it proofread a couple of extra times just to make sure it's it's good and making sure that there's no grammatical errors and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, I guess a personal manifesto or it's uh, an observation that you know you have these t- salsa talks at restaurants or at socials or at clubs that you're at and you, you strike up these conversations with some of the people who think about things a little bit more and have a lot of insightful things to say about dancing and you start to realize that a lot of it is personal interpretation because we don't have something um, concrete to fall back on you know I think I, I, I and this might be um, it, this is a general statement I don't mean this to disrespect the I know there's different schools of thought in ballet but there are general things that they all agree on because they've been established and are set it's been codified and you know a plie is a plie first position is first position and so on and so forth I know there's different ideas about that but I think at least they have something to fall back on there is a language that they speak in the dance and that's something that we lack I mean the closest thing we have would be kind of Eddie Torres who you know, if you sit there and like have taken class from him, which I was fortunate to do, um, he, you know, he kind of talks about why he started or why he formalized things like a Susie Q or stuff. And that's fascinating, but it's not written anywhere. There's no agreed upon way of how we should do this. And I'm not even proposing for a moment that my book is the Bible. It's just really my contribution to the conversation. You know what I mean? So like, Hey, this is what I've learned. This is what I've experienced for my time dancing. And this is what I've learned from people who have taught me and, um, you know, dances from outside. Um, and that's kind of it. So I just kind of compiled all those ideas and found some of the, um, overlapping things that I ran into as a teacher, uh, that, and that I've also experienced as a dancer. And I kind of put them in a word format so that hopefully it can help someone else who's coming up. And, you know, there's always that expression, let my hindsight be your foresight. So let things that I've discovered kind of expedite your progress. And if that can help you become better then by all means, I mean, I've, then I provided a service to the community and added value. You know what I mean? That's great. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's great that you're taking this approach. It sounds like this is a, a, a an approach to codify, on one slash on two salsa dancing. Would that be an accurate subtitle? In a sense, you know, I, I hate to, I, I don't, 
Well, you know, I am, we haven't really touched on this, but I am um, currently – so when Sekou left in 2000 um, – I think it was 2009, one day he's like, hey, guys, I got a gig to do in New York. Um, I'll be back on Monday, and we're still waiting for him. And it's 2015. He never came back. So <laughs> it's, it's a big joke that we have with him. When we see him, I'm like, you asked, you never came back. So at a certain point, we had got, gotten a, a good reputation as a group. And I'll, I'll come back to your question, but um, – my partner, my current partner, my girlfriend and um, partner and my business partner and my she's my she's my little everything. Uh, Laura, we got together. and We were like, well, you know, I want to keep getting better. I don't know what else to do, because at a certain point, And this is not even spoken in arrogance. This is just kind of looking at the at the scenario and realizing, well, there's a lot of egos involved and there's a lot of people who um, may or may not be willing to share information at this point. So let me look outside of the salsa scene at this moment um, and see what else I can find. So, you know, I started taking some jazz classes and some ballet classes and I finally ended up stumbling upon dancing ballroom and um, I picked it up back in 2009 and I'm actually competing now as a professional um, in American rhythm, which is kind of the uh, more social version of dancing ballroom. So, Having done that, I can say without question, I know there's a big stigma about ballroom and salsa. There's like a big, uh, you know, there's a big war on one side. You're either this or you're that, you know, and I don't see it that way. I see it as, you know, there's a lot of technique that's been passed on and why not learn from these people as well? Because they figured a lot of things out that we still struggle with in social dance because we can't sit there and agree upon certain things, you know. So at least if I can learn something, then by all means, I'm, I'm willing to learn. And um, I think style is really what usually people get hung up on, like the way this certain movement is presented versus technically what's going underneath under the hood. You know what I mean? We can have a Porsche and I can put a, a, a Volkswagen bug thing on top of it. And then all of a sudden people like it. Never mind the fact that it's still a Porsche underneath. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. people get super hung up on what they're seeing and the way the style is presented versus actually just sitting back and accepting the idea that, wow, we can actually learn this. This is um, a, a dance, um, you know, like a dance uh, style or I hate, no, style's not the right word, like a dance, um, category that's been around for decades it's just like uh, other formalized dances so why not sit there and try to take from it you know you see these awesome girls um you know who are high level people who are considered high level and they have some, usually have some kind of cross training so why not look under that hood as well and see what we can take and pull back into our thing to help us kind of um see what overlaps and see what's worthwhile as a latin dancer as a social latin dancer Right. And I like the distinction that you draw between the style and the technical underpinnings, because you're right. My first reaction when people say um, a ballroom dancing, yeah. I'm like, mm, no, no, right, no way. Right. But and most you're right. Think... And, and it really is because of the style. And that, that's why I don't like it. It's the style. Absolutely. And most people have that same sentiment. And, and, you know, it's on one hand, I can agree. And there's a big joke about it with, you know, when when I used to be in the group, uh, Descarga Seku was trying to um, – you know, look outside the box and try to get inspiration from other ideas. And my first um, reaction to doing some kind of a ballroomy type thing was very negative. I was completely against it. So, you know, it's funny now that I'm doing it because at first, and they, they, they bust my balls about it all the time. Like, man, you should have seen your face that one day we were, were the first time we wore Latin shoes. You know, like I had a big problem with that. You know what I mean? And now <laughs> that's just my part of my day to day at the studio, what I'm teaching, you know? So it, it's funny how things plan out, but um I yeah. definitely I, say I that, you know, it, please, I was just going to say there's definitely things to learn, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Well, so I, I've talked on this podcast before. I can't remember if it was in an interview or when I was talking to myself, but <laughs> uh, I was certainly I was certainly talking to somebody about uh, about ballroom yeah. and I compared it 
uh, it, when you compare ballroom to, let's call it L.A. and onto. Okay, so yeah. you compare those two to ballroom. Uh, very unstructured to very structured. Right. I compared it to, uh, there's actually a great TED Talk on this. I'll link you to it, and I'll put it in the show notes. Yep. This Dude. is for Chinese food. So uh, this was a lady who looked at the entire history of Chinese food and how it evolved, uh, specifically in America. So Chinese-American food, I guess you could call it. Right. And she compared that to McDonald's. Now, you look at those two, and it's very, very different. So in McDonald's, there is a very clear hierarchy. Corporate sets the structure for what is delivered at each of the franchise locations. All the food is standardized. Everything tastes the same, whether you're in Japan, whether you're in New Jersey. It doesn't matter. Right. Whereas with Chinese food, you look at Chinese food being sold in New York City, and then you look at Chinese food being sold in Austin, Texas, and they look nothing alike. And in fact, if you show General Tao's chicken to someone from China, they don't know what it is. It doesn't look like anything they've ever seen before. So there is no standardization in Chinese food in America. And the point that she made was because there aren't rules that come down from above, then all these Chinese people in America have innovated on the idea of what is Chinese food. Like, they've broken all the rules because they're allowed to break the rules to say, well, okay, no, we're going to put um, we're gonna put avocado and mayonnaise in this, and we're going to call it Chinese General Chow's cowboy chicken, you know, like whatever <laughs> we want to call it. But yeah. the, the, the lack of very, very strict rules gives them that ability to innovate. And I see a lot of that and on to in, in L.A. dancing because a lot of people will come from like a pop and lock background. A lot of people yeah. come from a ballet background and they will bring things into the dance that you would never dream of. Whereas I haven't been exposed to a lot of ballroom, but mm -hmm. I haven't seen too much of that. Like I haven't seen people getting their mind blown by these new combinations of things happening, this um, this evolution, this this mutation in a good way. Uh, right. ballroom i just haven't seen that the way i've seen it in on two and, and la style and that's completely fair i mean i totally trust me more than you know i totally understand where you're coming from and i think um it's not necessarily my position to be like this massive advocate of having everyone jump ship that's not the intention at all more so i, I think that i'm looking at it from the perspective of what things can we get so like going to your point right there is a standardization so much so that i've gotten a certification in teaching which opened up my mind to the fact like wow there's probably a cleaner and easier more direct way to teach this ability but at the same token we have to give room for individuality and personal interpretation because once everyone's dancing the same then it's kind of like uh, excuse me for people who use iphones but then you're just like an iphone like everyone has one and there's no variety in life it's just everyone's doing the same thing you know um so it's it's weird because on one hand you um you look at it and he, this is a perfect analogy like kind of going on the asian theme when i was starting drawing uh, my, my initial intention was to be a comic book artist and i was very into the american style and one of my buddies my close friend still to this day he started watching japanese animation and when i first saw it i was like what is that you know what what is this and he would bring about a, ma a manga book which is like a japanese comic and i would see it and every single one looked exactly the same i'm like what is it with these big eyes and and you know the girls with the massive boobs like what is it like obviously i don't have a problem with the boobs and all but <laughs> but the eyes and the style it's like what's going on here you know so then i'm thinking to myself 
it's funny when I think about back now about, and again, ignorance is not a bad word. It's really just not knowing, you know, because I didn't know, I realized that everything looked exactly the same to me. You know, like when our reticular activating system kicks in and we start really actually identifying differences in things and all of a sudden you're like, wow, oh my God, Rumiko Takahashi draws completely different than, um, this, these other guys, you know, and I started seeing all the variety that exists within something that appears to be the same. You know what I mean? So much so that most American guys now dance, uh, draw like Japanese, um, um, you know, uh, Japanese uh, comic book artists, there's a massive influence. So there is an opportunity to look at something from the outside, from our perspective of not knowing and being like, oh, that all looks the same. So I can actually counter that with saying, well, look, if you, uh, you know, for anyone interested, you know, you could look at someone like Emmanuel, um, in Emmanuel Pierre Antoine or Jose de Camps as a guy and just look at those two and be like, holy shit, those guys are off the chain, you know, or look at the girls you're dancing with like Liana or Joanna or look at Michael Malatowski and not and try not to be impressed and try not to appreciate the amount of ability and the amount of effort and the amount of mastery that's going on with these people when they're dancing you know like it's it's really just it would have to be 100 percent biasness to not at least acknowledge the fact that there's something good happening there and seeing how like wow how can i tap into a little bit of that and bring it back to what i do as opposed to i completely need to reinvent myself and be that way there's no need but if i can see something you know that um and it's even more interesting, you'll look at someone like Anya and Luis who won the um, the World Latin Cup. I mean, she's a straight Latin dancer, you know what I mean? A Latin ballroom dancer. And while people, if you read comments about it on YouTube, they might not necessarily like, oh, she's a ballroom dancer. But I mean, she's doing the style in her in personal interpretation of her personal background. That doesn't make it any more or less valid because we have, as, as a community, have not agreed on what the rules are. So why can't she do that? You know what I mean? So right. because there's no set standard, it's fair game. To your point, there's B-Boys. There's people like Gordon Neal and Sekou who are bringing a classical jazzy background to this thing. And that's completely valid. And there's other things. So it's all open game. And I think that instead of looking at it and being like, that's not salsa, we should be like, salsa is just like hip-hop, man. You know, like... I can take a Beethoven's fifth and loop it and put a drum beat on it, and it's hip-hop now. And I think salsa, I see it very much the same way. We're so open for interpretation that we can take anything and make it what we do, as long as it still has some inkling of the characteristics of the dance, which, I mean, you ask 10 different people, and they'll give you 10 different answers. You know what I mean? So yeah. at the end of the day, the, like going now bringing it back to the point of the book, the, at the end of the day, the one thing I did notice that is a, a defining characteristic of dancing of socially is partnering. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking to myself, well, I can actually provide information on what I've discovered is a more effective way to partner in my personal point of view. Now, I'm not saying it's exactly percent, you know, um, law or, you know, Bible, whatever. But I mean, I can at least say, hey, this works for me. And if you appreciate what I'm doing, bless you. If you appreciate what I'm doing, then this is how I'm doing it. You know, and if you don't, that's cool, mm -hmm. too. There's other people that you can watch and other people that you can learn from as well. So I think just looking back and seeing everything from the bigger picture and kind of pulling it back in was the whole point of the book in the first place. I hope I didn't lose you there. Sure. No, no, you, you did not, and I love that you referenced RAS. I haven't heard many people talk about reticular <laughs> activation, so that's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, I, it, it reminds me, so I, there's another podcast, which is my favorite podcast on Earth. It is the Dan Carlin Hardcore History Podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it or oh. heard it, but uh, it's incredible. Uh, I, I will link it in the show notes, but these are like, um, this guy is a military strategist buff, so he's really into military history, and he takes a topic, let's say World War One. 
and he'll go through every nook and cranny of this war. So he did a five-part series on World War One, where each episode of a podcast, mind you, which usually, I mean, my podcasts are like under an hour tops. Sure. Each of his was three hours long. Wow. So you're talking about three hours times five episodes, 15 hours. It's like a, an audiobook, really. Yeah. Anyway, one of the things I just heard him, him talk about was this idea of the fog of war, where a lot of times back in the day, you just like did not know what was going on on the battlefield. There was a lot more fog and unknowns than there is today, where you have aerial surveillance and all these things are known, the typography, where people are, what troops are where, um, and even just among your own troops, not, not to even mention the enemies. Yeah. So why I'm reminded of warfare when we're talking about salsa is because... <laughs> What's the correlation because here, this, man? <laughs> yes, ah, okay, I, I am bringing this back. I'm bringing this back. Is There is a, a correlation because if you are dancing and you intuitively know these things and you know what like a good feel of a lead is like and you know what good timing is like, but you can't explain it and you can't put words to what you're doing then there is somewhat of like a powerlessness there, I think, where you cannot build upon it as easily as if you were giving it clear wording, clear um, a, a clear mental framework in order to think about those things, even not just for your own growth, but for other people's. If you're trying to teach this stuff, uh, having that common vocabulary, having those common ways of thinking about it and ways of breaking this down instead of just intuitively like, uh, you do this and just being able to move your body is one thing, but going deeper, I think that a lot of us, including myself, have this fog of dancing, I would call it, where we do things and we know that they feel right but we can't really explain and we can't give a an educational structure to it does that make sense yeah 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 for sure absolutely yeah. that's that's awesome so anyway I, I again check out dan carlin but anyway i'm, I'm gonna stop talking about military history that is not why the <laughs> listeners listen to my podcast at least i think not um but watch this be your best one ever because people want to know, know more about right? military like, <laughs> Yeah. You're finding a new podcast. career, brother. Taking a new direction. <laughs> no, all my listeners went away because they're listening to 20-hour <laughs> podcasts. That's that's the trick. Um, awesome. But and last thing before I, I want to ask some rapid-fire questions, but before we get sure. into rapid-fire is just the reticular activation stuff. I think about that a lot actually on the dance floor. I think about that kind of like court awareness. So can you just explain uh, for the listeners a little bit more about what exactly reticular activation system is, what that theory is all about, and then maybe how that would relate to when you're actually on the dance floor dancing or in other salsa-related, dance-related activities. Well, I'm sure there's a much more nerdy explanation to this, but usually whenever I've uh, used this idea with people, um, the, you know, the first time I was actually um, my... Hold on, let me backtrack for a second. So if you are... Oh, um, exposed to something and then you start to, your mind your subconscious starts to actually see the thing that you're actually um, becoming interested for example i'll just use like a real i'm looking on my desk right now i have a little my mom for some reason got me in the habit of having a buddha not weed i mean like buddha literally the buddha like uh statue i always have one. <laughs> for those just, of you just have to have a little weed just a little i know weed no, right I, just, there your desk. Got it. I have to establish that i have to clarify that's, that. that's a cool mom man that's a really cool mom yeah, so she always had a little statuette of Buddha here. So I have one in front of me, and I'm always looking at it. Like, so supposing I had never been exposed to Buddha, and, and then I got a, a little Buddha present. You know, Buddha sitting there, happy Buddha, and rubbing his belly, and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, without ever even really noticing, I start seeing it, or hearing it, or noticing it everywhere. It's like my mind has been open to this idea that exists now that I wasn't aware of before. So you know, I, I usually try to explain it like that because we can probably get into the. Um, 
a lot more specific. Uh, you know, I hope maybe that would resonate with the way you think of it as well. But when I think of it that way, I've always thought about, you know, I've, I've been exposed to this idea. Now I can't not see it. You know, I know that's a double yeah. negative. You know, I, I just, <laughs> you know, it's like I've, I've, I've taken the red, which is the red or the blue pill. Now I'm in the oh, matrix I and I can't see it. You know, I can't unsee it. Maybe is a better way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. And I actually think of it in the sense of getting a new car. Once you buy a new car, you see that damn car all exactly. over the place. Like, oh, they have my car. They have my car. And maybe the way I would relate that back to salsa dancing is once you know of something. So for me, one of my RAS things is like I had this um, – What's it called? Like the uh, archetype. So I have an archetype of a casino dancer. Okay. Oh. And my archetype of a casino dancer is they dance in a circle and take up a lot of space and they always <laughs> step on me. Right. So when I am dancing socially, my RAS is always kicked in to notice any kind of pattern of where the casino dancers, because I'm going to make sure that I'm not using the same rules of, okay, salsa dancers dance in a line back and forth. So I'm good on this path. My lady is not going to get stepped on. But once I see that casino dancer, then I know, or even if I catch a corner of my glimpse, like, oh, that just feels like a casino dancer. I'm going to be dancing differently and maybe a little bit more defensively because of it. You're funny, man. Yeah. Or just get the hell out of the way and move to the other side. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would be I would be amazed if I have any like hardcore casino dancers that still listen to me, man. Um, oh, man. I, I love casino. Listen, guys, it's it's totally cool. It's just not my thing. Not my thing. No, and that's totally cool too. You know what I mean? I I am notoriously in Chicago. Um, it's an ongoing joke at this point, and there's nothing negative about it. I just don't care for bachata. It's just not my thing, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Just like ballroom's not your thing, bachata's not my thing, and it, that's fine. You know, so for you to say that, like, kudos to you for having the, quite frankly, the balls to be like, you know, I respect what you're doing, just not my thing. So, a plus for you, yep. man. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm. I, so I actually just put out a podcast yesterday talking about this article that came out. We got this viral article on LDC. Man, it's got awesome. like 10,000 likes on Facebook, and uh, it's got to be over like thirty or 40,000 views for this one article nice. that came out. And um, so it is uh, just kind of like why people are leaving uh, some more advanced dancers. They're just stopping dancing. They're not enjoying it as much. You can read the article. But the thing that struck out to me was that – I don't dance all the time because I don't like the music. So in Gainesville, a lot of times at the socials, they play very, very casino music. And mm -hmm. I just cannot dance to it. it just I, I just can't enjoy the music. I can't dance. And I'm like thinking to myself, man, am I a, a dance snob? Like, am I the kind of guy who I never thought I would be when I was first learning this stuff? Where I was like, oh, it's, it's music. It's all salsa. So it's all the same beat, whatever. Let me just dance to it. But what I realize is maybe I just got to be more open-minded and actually learn casino and learn to dance casino for the casino songs. Even if I don't like it, um, learn to dance it and then just start dancing. And if I still don't like it, maybe stop it. But I'm trying, I'm really, really trying to be more open-minded with casino. And maybe that's why I don't like the casino music because I just never dance casino. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because I think that – and we're, we're about to open up a separate can of worms right now. But, you know, I, <laughs> I have said a lot, you know um – do you know, like, sound is vibration, right? I mean, I, I've, I've come to know this sound is vibration. We, on a, on a subatomic level, we're also this, we're energy. It wouldn't be, I, I don't think anyone's actually ever proven this, but I think it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility that we are attracted to certain things which are on the same vibrational frequency as we are. You know what I'm saying? So perhaps... I'm just using myself as an example right now. And again, please, for the Batata heads right now, I am not talking crap. I'm just speaking my personal experience, and that's no reflection on my appreciation or respect for yours, so I need to establish that. But I 
like it's just not in a vib- vibratory harmony, for lack of a better way to say it, with me. And and for you, maybe you're just not harmonizing on a vibrational level with casino music, and you shouldn't have to force yourself to because it's not really coming from a place of um, sincerity, and it's not coming from a place of like mm-hmm. honesty. It's you're actually forcing yourself. So it would probably be better served to not do it, you know, or to follow people who play the music that you like because they're playing things that align with you know your harmony, your personal way. There's a reason you like a specific kind of music. There's a p- reason people love speed metal and death metal and other people can't even hear it for a second without pulling their hair out you know and there's i just i think there's got to be a reason you know what i mean and it's probably on a much more vibrational level than any of us actually think about it and we're thinking oh i just don't like that no it's probably deeper than that you know what i mean so yeah well that's my point of view let's also draw the distinction between enjoying something and appreciating something because i do not necessarily enjoy bachata music it sounds like you don't really enjoy dancing to bachata but i do appreciate bachata because once i went to puerto rico so i went to puerto rico three months ago for the first time and i was thinking well this is obviously going to be a lot of dancing and it was but the problem was it was all salsa i was (laughs) dancing all salsa for four hours straight do you know what that does to your body when you're dancing four hours straight salsa my god you lost seven pounds right you lost seven pounds oh yeah more oh yeah it's back it's totally back my my fiance is very pleased but still like i didn't realize what a critical role bachata played in just giving me a rest because if i hear salsa good salsa music i want to dance every single one of those songs and bachata gave me that natural cadence of okay i can rest a couple songs then get back on there you know the normal 70 30 uh 60 40 split but that just was not happening in puerto rico and i was hoping for it and it just wasn't so i think it has I, i appreciate bachata i don't necessarily enjoy it but i appreciate it oh yeah for sure it definitely has its place and you know for everyone who loves it man big ups man more more power to them you know and i'm glad people like it and i i do one of the things um i had i had written a, a blog post about this about variety you know what i mean um it's actually cool that there's more than just salsa to sink your teeth into you know nowadays um here in chicago it can be anything from a salsa slash mambo to a cha-cha to a bachata to a kisomba now and maybe in a couple of years zook i think some people are trying but it's not really taking off yet but i mean that would be actually pretty cool man if you go out to a night and potentially up to five different dances you can do in one night it really keeps things interesting you know so i'm all for variety you know every single style might not necessarily vibe with me but i appreciate the fact that it's there because it gives people more to do and it keeps you know the dance community vibrant because they're always engaged as opposed to just doing one thing and kind of getting sick of it you know what i mean so there's always a new challenge there's always something to sink your teeth into and i think um, different genres can really help with that and and i want you to to add this to the book man just give us some templates some rule guide of thumb of how to advertise what kind of music is going to be played. I think this should be on every Facebook event <laughs> where it just says, hey, it's a salsa night. By the way, 70, 30, 10. Or, I love sorry, it. That math does not work. You uh, know what? 70, oh, yes, we do 70, that at our socials, actually. We did because we were running two a month. One of them was a salsa heavy one, uh, salsa dura heavy one, and the other one was a bachata heavy one. So it's funny you should say that because we actually made a distinction there. So at least people knew what they were getting into, you know, which I think is a pretty It's about cool managing thing. expectations. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you do really need that. Exactly. I think people would be pleasantly surprised at how much that would affect outcome and users, you know, satisfaction of people going in there knowing exactly what they were going to hear instead of expecting, you know, casino and getting Tito Puente all night long. You know, what I mean, it's just different. So that's cool, man. That's yeah. awesome. Do, do you? OK, man. OK, we, we got to finish this up. But oh, yeah, no, my no last worries. question is, when you go to congresses, do you think that there's something that lacks in the experience almost like 
ingenuine about it when there is a salsa room and then a bachata room, but they're not together? Like when you don't get that dynamic of the different styles in one place, do you do you feel like it loses anything? Or do you still have like a great time when it's just the salsa room and then you jump over to the bachata room? You know what's unfortunate, I think, is this idea of like uh, this is my personal outside view of any kind of new thing that comes up people get really into it and they become rabid advocates for it and then they get a little almost culty about it and i think it's kind of unnecessary i think um ultimately we're putting it under the umbrella of latin dancing and i think in in the greater scheme of things it might be better to be more inclusive about things instead of more separate because you know instead of building divides i would prefer to build bridges because it keeps like everyone more happy but on the same token I can also we can easily use the analogy like well there's a reason at the buffet section you know the Asian food is not next to the mashed potatoes which is not next to the um, the salad I mean they're all in their own places you know what I mean so on one hand yes it could be a big ass food bar um, but on the same token we can isolate the things that you specifically want so I see it from both places I think that um, there should be a mutual respect and appreciation for what is actually happening. Um, and I'm totally cool with, like, it being done in the same room, me personally. I have no problem if, you know, they play, like, you know, salsa and then a bachata and then, uh, you know, merengue is not really big here in Chicago. But if they played a merengue or even a cumbia or something, it's cool. Change it up because let people have a chance yeah. to expose different parts of their personality because a lot of people like more than one dance. A lot of people do, you know. I love cha-cha. Right. I don't think they play it enough, but that's just me. I love that. I was going to swear, but I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> well, I love hey, it. <laughs> Uh, I know, I, I, me too, man. Me too. Even though I suck at it, I love it too. But uh, but pro tip, means... pro tip, merengue, merengue is not big anywhere. So uh, that's, that's just <laughs> actually that's not true, man. In the Dominican Republic, they go crazy for merengue. So it, I, uh, of I've, course in South America, told. I would do that. We have a guy here named Carlos Cinta. Big shout out to Carlos. He is like adamant on his one man crusade to get people to like uh, merengue, which is awesome because like he's literally the only guy in Chicago who's like, I'm going to force it down your throat and make you like it, you know, and I just laugh because he's got this crusade and good for him, man. At least he's trying and he's really into bachata and he's real like scientific about his approach. So I appreciate the fact he's coming from a place of like, I really love this stuff, you know, so I'm going to try to share my passion as opposed to, you know, this is just something I do on the side. Like I, I appreciate it you know whether or not i like it is another story but i, I definitely appreciate you know his um trying to make it work you know and trying to expose people so it's all good man from my perspective well, yeah and, and and again just leading into how every every dance has a role for every kind of dancer so even if you don't like bachata you can sit out the bachatas whatever uh for bachata and merengue i think plays a role for people who don't enjoy dancing it which is if you want to bring a friend out to aladdin night and they don't know how to dance. There's merengue they can do the very first time out, right? So it gives that low learning curve where someone can just show up, man, and have a good time and feel like they're knowing how to dance, whereas they really don't know, like, even the tip of the iceberg of what's going on. But they can still get by with merengue or with bachata, really. So I think that they have a role, definitely. And if there are Absolutely. a lot of beginners at, and I was DJing, I would definitely play more merengue. You know how some politicians will say, like, uh, marijuana is a gateway drug to bigger things, you know? And usually I don't see the correlation personally. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a user in any way, shape, or form, but I think that's kind of a, a leap in logic i think there's a massive difference between marijuana and cocaine or heroin you know but that's just me that being said uh, they they use the idea as a gateway as opposed to this is an introduction to you know opening your mind to the possibility of doing something different and i think an appropriate term would be merengue and bachata are very much gateway dances because they give you an easy enter into um 
Latin dancing, and they're a little bit more accessible early on. And of, of course, they can always get harder and more intricate. And you know, they're a very good advanced bachata dancers because they've taken the time to get better at it. But I think on a very simplistic level, just the basic rhythm is kind of easy to follow, even if you've never done it. So I kind of see those as gateway dances that have depth to them that can also be really good introductions, kind of going along your point. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Definitely. Okay, man, I want to wrap up the podcast, but I want to do a couple of rapid-fire questions before please, we please. Uh, we exit out here. So, number one, mm-hmm. when you are feeling like you're in maybe a bit of a salsa plateau, mm-hmm. what do you do? I think that there's always something to work on. Uh, as a teacher, I always um, – you know. I, I could teach the same step to five different people and continuing to keep, to continue to give them certain things to think about. Um, personally, one of my struggles used to be, um, I had a bunch of shoes to show it, but I used to have like holes in the outsides of my jazz shoes by my pinkies. And I never understood because no one ever told me that I wasn't doing it correctly. So nowadays that I have this awareness, my RAS is on to how to spin a little bit better. I always think there's something that we can work on. So plateaus exist only in our minds because unless we really truly believe we have it all, and I don't know anyone who has it all. And I don't, and you know, I know some of the best people in the scene and in other fruit forms of dance. And anyone who thinks they have it all is really just kind of, you know, I think the mindset is faulty there. So a plateau only exists in, in our minds. And if we have a plateau, we either A, need to look deeper and see what other problems we have to work on. Or B, find some mentor who can help you realize what these things that you need to work on are. That would be my answer. Got it. Cool. Good answer. Uh, second thing is when you're checking out people dancing on YouTube, who are some of the people that you just love watching dance the most, either individual dancers or when you see like on YouTube X dancing with Y, you know, two specific people and how they kind of play off each other on yeah. either of those two fronts? Uh, who are some people that come to mind? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I still have this vivid memory of watching Sion, stylist Sion Bristol and Amanda uh, Estilo dancing. To me, that's like my favorite social dance of all time. And it's an old bootleg VHS tape that a, a guy named Arthur used to be like our liaison to the outside salsa world back, you know, before the Internet. And um, it was awesome. Like just seeing so, so, it's so soulful and connected and in the moment. So I know it's a really antiquated dance, which I don't even think is on YouTube. But you asked me that question and that's my immediate answer so definitely watching cn and amanda just dance with one another um you know a little bit more contemporary i love watching people like a toy dance or i love watching you know i love watching magda's musicality or oliver pineda and just watching how he's so clean about everything he's so precise and even as an observer i can see what he wants to happen you know that's the kind of things i'm into and that's the whole reason why i wrote the book like seku wrote a com- uh, made a comment one time about this one other guy um i believe it was Johnny from Boston, the the brothers yeah. from uh, Salsa y Control, you know? I'll, I'll, and, I'm actually going to be interviewing them next week. I'm going up to Boston. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you, you said you're moving? No, no. Well, we're going oh, up for the uh, Boston Salsa Festival. Oh, Just right on. Next week. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Have fun, man. Um, yeah, he was mentioning Johnny and how he could see the lead. You know, he can, he's even just as an observer, he can see it happen before it actually let it. So to have that level of precision and clarity in your communication is so awesome. So I love watching people who do that, like from the perspective of a follow who is so in tune with her lead, who is so connected, you know, I mean, it's cool to see women who style and style great and it's unnecessary to name names, but it's more for me, more impressive to see someone who's taken the time to actually connect with someone. That's such a, an art. You know what I mean? And when you see it happen, it's like, oh, man, that's beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I definitely, definitely love seeing Magna and watching her uh, musicality and just, um, you know, seeing that. I mean, there's definitely some others. I mean, I, I love watching my partner, Laura, whenever she dances. I love watching her because she's so 
freaking awesome and clean. I mean, you know, if you don't know her, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of videos of her, but she is fierce as as they come, man. So, you know, I mean, wow, I think we gotta I, get her on the show. <laughs> you have to, man. She's a ball of fight. You'll, she'll literally, be, she'll make you <laughs> smile the whole time you're talking to her. Um, yeah. So that I hope cool. that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does. And actually, have you seen the video of Magna and then the brothers from uh, Southside Control? Have you seen them I've dance seen, together? Yeah, I've seen them. They have, look like they're having a ball, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, the, I, two I, head, the two head salsa monster kicking in there. It's, it's crazy. It's I love unreal. it. They're so awesome. Yeah, okay, another thing to link to in the show notes. Man, I might have a lot of links here to share. That's, that's good stuff. That means we're talking about good stuff. Right. Okay, so... Um, what was my, oh my last question right was man it's tough like when i'm in the dark here i can't write notes to myself uh by the way i'm like in my closet so i get good audio quality Shit. that's the trick guys they want to start their own podcast just go into the smallest cramped closet you can find that's how you can get good stuff this is how so, devoted he is to quality people <laughs> exactly i'm gonna take a picture of this i mean actually i have a picture you should totally take a picture make here. that the you yeah. should totally do that <laughs> People would appreciate yeah, I need a light in here or something. So my, my last question, man, was just I always like to end the podcast episodes with a song of the week. So is there a favorite song that you have, something that you're either listening to recently that's just really on repeat for you, something you especially like dancing to, maybe one that has specific historical or emotional connection to you? Well, I'll put I'll give two. One is contemporary because my my boy who teaches at um, our studio, um, he's also DJs our socials and he plays awesome music, man. And he um, got me hip to the song from Roberto Ruena called Mi Desengaño, which is I love it. It's I'm really big on dancing like chill stuff. Like when I'm performing, go fast. Like I'm all for it because I understand I'm putting on a show. But when I'm social dancing, I like to groove. I like to be chilling with my partner and like hit, let my body flow and let my connection be more dominant than me feeling the need to put on a show for people watching me. You know what I'm saying? So I love medium tempo music. So that song is awesome. And then um, kind of piggybacking off my previous comment about Amanda and Sion, when they were dancing, they were dancing to another Roberto Ruena song. And that's total coincidence because I'm not like the biggest Roberto Ruena fan in the world, but I love his music. It's just not, you know, he's not my number one, but um, he had another song called Concepcion, which I love that song too. So those are really two cool jams. Concepcion is like a real long song, but it's so, you kind of just ride a groove. Like, you know, like you're on a wave, like I imagine like a surfer would be when you just ride that wave and it's so smooth. That's how that song feels to me. Like when I, I'm dancing and I love it, it's just so soulful. You know, that's, that, that would be my, that would be my answer. All right. Sounds like we have a winner here. Okay, awesome. great. So, uh, man, before we end here today, and again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat oh with God, me. Pleasure. This was a really fun conversation, man. This was good. This is going to be you. one of my favorite. Thank um, you. Just tell me, tell the listeners uh, mm -hmm. how we can get a hold of you. I want to know, you know, your blog. I want to know any emails. Awesome. Um, if you have a Twitter, and then uh, just any info you want to share on on the book. So personally, I mean, anyone here, feel free to friend me on Facebook. It's Del Dominguez, D-E-L Dominguez. I'm sure he'll have it in the, you'll have it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> I, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm actually super a busy guy because I got like so much going on. So I'm not 100% active on social media. But you can definitely read out my blog, which I try to get out weekly at our website, which is called www.mixedmotionart.com. And I keep a blog there, which I've 
kind of my musings and stuff that I write about, which is the whole reason I started writing the book in the first place, because I would get a lot of um, outside people telling me they loved what I was writing about and, you know, just keep writing that you have a knack for it. So just keep doing it. Um, so definitely, people, um, feel free to check out the blog. And by all means, feel free to comment, because I get a lot of lurkers who never actually participate in the comment section, which makes it harder for me to keep coming up with things. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if you experience yeah. this, like, what the hell am I going to talk about this week, you know? So <laughs> people comment oh really God, I know you get it. Trust me. I know you understand. I do. Um, also, I do. you know, um, the book, um, definitely, if you go to the website, uh, feel free to sign up for our um, email list, and there will definitely be more um, word out about my book. Um, for now, the tentative title of the book is called The Science of Salsa. Um, it's based off of a book called um, – a book from an author called Raymond Hollywell. I think the name of the book was The Science of Getting Rich. No, no, Working with the Laws is the name of the book. Working with the Laws by Raymond Hollywell. He basically broke down, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be long-winded right now, but he broke down um, kind of the things that he saw in a lot of successful people and kind of started to see the correlations in what all those people had in their lives, and he called them laws. So it was like the law of compensation, the law of non-resistance, and all these really awesome things that when you read it, you start thinking like, wow, um, I never thought of it that way. And, you know, if that's kind of an overlapping thing that successful people have done, it would stand to reason that if I did the same thing, you know, I'm, I too might be successful in whatever it is that I'm, I'm going after. So I modeled my book after that. So I have like six basic laws that I've, you know, that my RAS is very tuned into now that have affected my dancing. So that's kind of how I laid my book out. Everyone who's read it has actually been very receptive to me having laid it out that way. So I hope that, you know, people, when they do get a chance to read it, will appreciate that as well. Um, so I'll definitely have more information about that very soon. I, I hope to get it out actually within the next month. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm also trying to hook up a deal with you guys where I can offer the book through your guys' store. So hopefully that can come to pass. And other than that, man, um, I expect to be performing and competing at the World Salsa Summit in 2015. So definitely wish us luck and look out for us there. And other than that, man, it's been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for the time. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.
Vivo 